You turn in your Bibles, please, to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at three different passages of Scripture today. I didn't feel it was necessary to give you a, uh, a teaching sheet, and I was grateful for that since our copier isn't working right now. There's no power back there. Um, but I think we can manage going into the Word of the Lord and finding three passages, especially since Uncle Scott's going to project them up here on the screen for you anyway. Today, um, we want to talk about the Spirit of Christ. And um, I have to tell you that this is, um, this is something that the Lord started speaking to me about a few days ago. Uh, you know that um, many, many years ago, the Lord allowed us to study about the seven spirits of God together. And we've taught on that and and embraced that and, and enjoyed how God has continued to reveal those dimensions of who he is as a person. Um, we've talked about how that, that understanding then opens our eyes to see how the enemy rebelled and the principalities that fell in the iniquity of, of the enemy. Um, but that is a well-stated uh, not that we can't continue to learn, because you will always be learning more and more about who God is and what his essence is. But, um, you know, the point, though, is that, that that understanding has been established within the house. And I, I was so grateful that then, over the years, the Lord led us to study about the names of God and to be able to associate various dimensions of how God revealed himself through his names in the, in the Old Testament and the parallels into the New Testament, um, God has just been very gracious with us. But I remember that when we were studying initially, when God was talking to me about the seven spirits, um, I really was trying to be very sensitive as to what he was saying because I knew I was talking about him and I did not want to make a mistake. I did not want to say something that then later we would have to go back and say, oh, you know, here's an adjustment. Um, we wanted to make sure everything was in the, in the word and, uh, but, but mostly that we were representing him. And I remember processing this idea of, not the idea, but the, but the reality of the spirit of Christ and I recognize that this was something that is, a, is really a gift from God regarding not only sonship, but whatever, whatever it is that the Messiah means, whatever it is that the Son, who is in partnership with the Father, to do the will of the Father and to go forth in his anointing, um, that, that is a factor that really describes everything that we are. And it's everything that we are as saints. It's everything that we are as intercessors. It's everything that we are as sons. And so you really can't, you can't pigeonhole, forgive that word when talking about a divine thing, the, the spirit of Christ into one facet because it really is everywhere from the foundation of the world God envisioned you and me and wanted us to walk with him as sons, to represent him at the throne. 
as joint heirs with who? With Christ. So it is an all-encompassing dimension of what the Spirit of God is, is all about. It is an extension from God's heart, from God's person, but it really is a directed capacity, all leading to what Jesus did in his sacrifice, how he patterned the walk of sonship for us, and what he continues to do at the right hand of the Father and in this place where we stand with him. And so, but I couldn't ignore the fact that the Bible talks about the Spirit of Christ. And I, I didn't want to I didn't want to sidestep that, even having that understanding that I just um, probably not very well tried to explain to you. So you'll see capacities of this mixed in into the spirit of prophecy, life, and supply, because the testimony or that example of Jesus embracing the mission from the Father, giving all that he is, to, to the point of dying to self, dying to his divine nature, not, not his divine nature, dying to his divine position, and dying on the cross so that that martyria might demonstrate what prophecy really is. And um, that's the, you know, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So I knew that what Jesus patterned for us is heavily ingrained into that prophetic mindset and that that prophetic dimension of what uh, God's seven spirits would indicate through the spirit of prophecy. So that's why it's the spirit of prophecy, life, supply, healing, because all of those things are part of the agenda that Jesus embraced in the very center of the seven spirits to make possible our uh, place at the right hand of the Father, and to be as anointed sons. But I, we tucked that away in there, and it, it, we've been living it to a large degree. But I think it was Thursday morning at my 2 o'clock wake-up, um, I went into the front room and put my red Southwest Airlines blanket on me and laid there and prayed, looking out over the darkness of our front yard, and God started to just, you know, the word just came, Spirit of Christ. And I thought, okay. I always sound like Don Parler in that, in that song he sings. Um, oh, that's very good. Oh, yes. You know, what do you say to that? You know, you, you just wait on the next expression. And so I prayed a little bit in the Spirit, and then I just looked up the passages that we're going to discuss today. And I knew that there was a dispensation of the spirit of Christ. Not, not just the, the spirit of prophecy, but a special dispensation of the spirit of Christ that is being made ready and offered to us as saints in these days. And the three passages we're going to look at detail specific PowerPoints of that Spirit of Christ, and we're going we're gonna to talk about them. Um, I also recognized that as I prayed about it on Friday, and then we came here for our first Saturday prayer yesterday, when I read 
the insights that had been submitted thus far at three o'clock this morning, I recognized that so many of them had to do with our partnership with God, of course, but various things that God was giving to his people. You can read, you'll, you'll be able to read the insights, but I know right now Nancy and Monica have them, and they're processing them. But so many of those words, even though we were praying about breakthrough, turning this month in, of October into the launch point, um, praying about the Brazilian election, you know, you know the things that we said we were going to come and pray about. So many of them were just these things. God is doing this, and God is giving this, and God is shining on this. And it dawned on me, these are parts of that dimension of the Spirit of Christ. And I, I'm very, very happy for that. I, I feel, and I, and I think that the, the close alignment between what we're going to talk about and the spirit of prophecy, um, and really to me how wonderfully it links with sonship. And we'll talk about that just in a minute. It, it's, it's, very, it's very exciting to me when you remember that the two groups that are going to be representing the kingdom in the majority way in the book of Revelation are the saints and the prophets. And to me, I think that this understanding is going to gird up um, that grasp of what the prophets are really going to be doing. I, I really think that they're kind of like lover-warrior, um, saints and prophets, where the saints, and, and, and it's going to be an interchangeable kind of a thing. Um, I, I, think that, I think that the saints are going to be pursuing adamantly the things that we have embraced and are teaching around the world, being intercessors, believing God at the right hand of the throne for his will to be done that was envisioned and, and spoken forth by him from the foundation of the world. Uh, we, are, we are going to be mo moving with the angelic on behalf of the throne. But then the, the operational function of that calling is going to be de depicted by those ministering prophetically on behalf of the Spirit of Christ. And I, I, I know that that's going to continue to manifest itself. So it, I don't know what we thought. You know, you can process with your own mind, you know, saints and prophets. What are we going to do? I mean, we're going to have the saints network, and then are we going to have a merger with CI or some other prophetic group, and we'll just come together like, a, like an old-time merger when... Um, you know, I've been watching this series while I worked out that I thought so many times Les would really enjoy. Um, uh, men that shaped America, and they start with uh, Vanderbilt, and then they go to Rockefeller, and then they go to Carnegie, and then they go to J.P. Morgan. And it's just fascinating. I mean, it's, it's so interesting. Some of you would probably sleep through it, but I just ate it up. I mean, I thought, this is phenomenal. I'm learning things I've never seen before. And, but, but so many times they'd make mergers and, um, you know, and right now I'm watching one about Boeing and how during the Depression, Boeing, who invented the, the air-cooled engine for airplanes, bought up all these other, uh, like Ford, Ford Air and some of these other ones that kind of cratered 
uh, during the Depression. Boeing bought them all up and just took all the strength of them and just dominated the market and still does today. But, you know, I, I really think that there's going to be a, a galvanizing of, of groups around the throne, around the throne, and, this, and, the, and the proclivity of the saints and the prophets, i.e., the, the, the spirit of Christ, are really going to be a one-two punch that work together. They're not going to be um, different ideologies that, okay, you function over here, you function over here. Having an alliance like that just sets you up for, for problems. In the history of war, Napoleon was famous for saying he loved to fight against alliances because you could always find the place where they didn't agree. You could find a place where they were not in cohesion. And, you know, you can find out, though, that the thing that finally done hit, did him in was, was that very thing. <laughs> he relied on certain groups that weren't there, particularly coming to Waterloo. But I digress, obviously. Um, the, other, the other factor to this is that we're going to see something. I, I said we're going to connect this with um, truth and sonship to a degree, which is the Sabaoth, which is the seventh day. Um, and, you know, you can look at this word that has to do, well, well let's just get into Scripture, and I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute. Philippians 1, 19. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer, the Asus, and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. That is a wonderful thing. What is that supply? It, it really is those things that the Father divests to us in his timing, those gifts, capacities, whether, whether it is a, uh, an anointing for this hour, whether it is some token of grace, to partner with him in, whether it is any number of things, that supply is exactly what we need to represent Christ. And it's linked with our offerings of supplication. Uh, now, yes, God can supply temporal things. Um, if you look at the scripture, though, you find that those temporal things are promised through other resources of the throne, like my God shall supply all your needs according to the riches of Christ Jesus in his glory. In the pursuit of glory, God is supplying for you. And, and that's been our source of supply for decades now. As we followed him in the commission that God has given us apostolically, that is a, that is a foundational bedrock point of faith where we say, God, you know, I'm not just laying out a bunch of scriptures, even though that's powerful, and I'm believing, I'm declaring them that you're going to provide. When we stand on the mission that the throne of God has given us, then that supply from the riches in that glory pours out upon us, and it comes from places we don't expect. It comes at times that are just miraculous, and we've seen that, but I'm telling you this. I've been, I've been in the church for decades. You know, I turned 65 later this week. But, you know, uh, 60 of those years I've been cognizant of being in the church. I've seen God provide in many ways, but never to the degree that we have seen since we accepted this apostolic mission to become saints, to serve the throne, and to follow him in the doors he's opened around the world. 
That is a point of strength. That ri those riches are linked to the glory, and those are our <laughs> those are our provision from God. And He moves in wonderful ways. Now God provides in other ways too, and that's the beauty of the Word of God, because we can look at these words and we don't just lump them all together into some big stew pot and just just randomly start flipping out words. I mean. If you can go before the Lord on the basis of a scripture, just like Jesus did, he teaches the same thing as the Pharisees do, but he teaches them with application, with power. That's what God is training the Nematicos people to do. And, you know, it's just like in a legal case. You can get up there and blather all day long and say all kinds of things, but when you start citing precedent that are insoluble, then, boy, the case is won unless you have an unjust judge. But... You know, the point is, is that there are various points of supply that are promised in the Word, and when you grasp what legal, ent what legal entitlement you have to those, it opens up doors. And then you're talking about something in the Spirit that the enemy cannot deny. You're not just pot shopping, pot, pot shotting and throwing scriptures against the wall to see if any of them stick. You know this is where we are, this is what you said, this is exactly where we are accessing, and it unlocks. It, it unlocks the kingdom. But this point of supply is the supply of spirit of Jesus Christ. And I believe that there are things that God is giving to us. And, and I, I really encourage you, if you've not submitted words from yesterday across the nation's or even in this house, please do so. But there's a large percentage of things that de detail things that God is giving us in spiritual ways. And this is part of this avenue of the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And it is, it is a specific measure. It's, it's a grace thing. Grace and truth came through Jesus. And this supply really accentuates the mission of grace, and it accentuates the things of truth that God is saying, no longer is this hidden, you've got to move forward. In fact, I'm, I'm just rambling, but I'm talking about things that's your identity. Um, I was even in, in early Friday morning, the Lord was talking to me, saying some more things about diversities of tongues. And we've just gone whole whole, I almost said whole hog, uh, but we've just gone wholly after doing what God says should be functional in the church. But God started talking to me about why it's listed as a grace gift. And I, I really gained a deeper understanding of the fact that when God, God keeps that function of diversities of tongues, or he wants to, functioning within the church, but when he's about to move in, an, in a new dimension of grace, he accentuates that gift, and he's, he, he stokes up the fire of that gift. And for that season of introduction, diversities of tongues is like on overdrive because it is a grace gift speaking of the genos of what God is wanting to do. And, and I know that we have had different waves here where, where we keep, the, we keep the engines of diversities of tongues functioning. We have to. Because once the engines shut down, once the furnace shuts down, 
you're down. <laughs> there are always things that God wants you to be praying for. And if you think we can shut it off and, and then jerk it up again when the next wave comes, that's not the way God moves. So I think that if we were to look back at some of the, especially those first days, when we were praying uh, under the direct supervision of lots of angels, um, establishing things, establishing the foundation of what you and I have embraced, one of the things that we were praying about in diversities of tongues is that that visitation in Brownsville that was an extension from Toronto would not be wasted by everybody. That it would set its, it would set its prominence in the hearts of those who would be willing to move on with the Lord. And we were holding on in, in I'm not saying we're the only ones. Remember, we had Lila Terhune come here, was the director of prayer at Brownsville. We had others who came here. Um, but I know that those first couple of years where it says, well, we weren't doing anything. We were just praying. We weren't traveling yet. Well, yeah, we were doing a lot. We were praying in grace for whatever that visitation was while it was still the imprint would have the effect that God ordained for it to have. And then we, we kind of found a, a linking with with CI and with Morningstar to a greater degree, and we started really praying in conjunction with prophetic worship. And you remember that. Maybe you don't view it this way. Maybe you just thought we like those tunes. I pray better this and not that. But, you know, look, look at what's happened since when we first started praying to now churches all over the Metroplex, if they've not gone woke, are trying to sing prophetically. And there are groups that are rising up. There are a lot of prophetic voices. And if you just think back, there really weren't those. Now, I'm not saying again, we were the only ones who were praying, but the diversities of tongues helped the Father to be able to, to establish those things in a working way. And right now, as we join with people around the world, See, it's not, just, it's not just pockets here and there. You know, for numbers of years, we were just praying here. But we have Saints Network families in this nation. We have Saints Network families in other nations. And more are coming. Now we're praying for the grace of God to be broken through in some other ways. Um, but it, it's just very interesting. But a couple of the things that we're seeing yesterday during the prayer time, um, and I, I studied those this morning, have to do with ways that God is gearing us up for what's coming. Like there were some anointings with oil. Anointings with oil always reach back to what should be and commission you for stepping into something that's, that's coming. An anointing and an ordination always initiates a process. So we're, in this breakthrough time, we're initiating process. Even the, uh, you know, the, the, the preparation of the gospel of peace, our feet. If you look at the significance of preparation in the New Testament, um, that word in Ephesians 6 means to have a foundation and get things ready, but you extrapolate off of that to the Jewish thought. Notice how many times in the scripture it talks about 
the time of preparation, particularly before Christ was, was I would say, assassinated, and that's what he was, where he was sacrificed. And they said, you know, the time of preparation for the Sabbath is near. And they, they kept talking about that. They, it is said in a number of places. And they had to prepare themselves for the Sabbath. They had to, especially at the Passover, they had to prepare themselves. And it's mentioned over and over and over again. We got to get this body in the ground because the time of preparation for the seventh day is here. And I think that the, what we've studied about the seventh day is that, um, you know, it's the time of sons. It's the time where we, you're ready to launch into the new. You're reflective of what God has done, and you're looking into the new day. Isn't that true? So there's a time of preparation in the Scripture for going into that day and then functioning in that day. So I think that that's what the preparation, even though it's a different word, but it's the same concept of where you're, the soles of your feet in com combination with the palm of the hand of God is going, where you're partnering with God in. There is a preparation point that is endemic to the Jewish mindset and is part of what we should be doing as the seven, in the seven spirits. So I believe that this supply right now, what, we, what you'll read in the first Saturday reports, if you read them, and you should, is that we're being supplied by the Lord on behalf of this point, a breakthrough in Christ. And how better to utilize that than be people who have embraced diversities of tongues, that grace gift, to partner with the throne of God. So all of these things make sense through the pneumaticos perspective. But the supply of the Spirit in conjunction with supplication there is the supply of Jesus Christ. And I, I love that. Now, let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1. This is, this is a really cool verse. And actually, this is the first one I really started looking at. And I thought, that's, that's interesting. 1 Peter 1.10, of which salvation the prophets, the Old Testament prophets, have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. So what do you have there? You have prophets partnering in grace about something that wasn't there yet that was coming. Does that sound familiar to any of you? Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel, unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. That is a mouthful. This is Peter. This is the bold one. This is the guy that was head and shoulders over everybody else. The great rock. The one who heard from the Father. But not necessarily the one that God chose to write the majority of the New Testament under the anointing of the Spirit. But what he says here is dynamic. The first thing is that when you are prophetically embracing grace, you're serving the Father. You, you are probably doing it for millions of others that are going to 
receive the dividend of your service. And you know, the enemy wants you to think, well, I prayed for this. I should be the one that has it. What are they doing? You know, it's kind of like the Old Testament thing. Moses, Moses, there are people prophesying the camp. And Moses says, you know, would God, all God's people would prophesy. Um, you know, I, I think that's the first thing we have to see, that when you minister to the Father, you're ministering to the Father. If there's grace in that old covenant, um, if there's grace that's going to come, you're ministering to the Father. You've got to recognize that, that ideal. Because if, if you're going to get discouraged, and I am guilty of this, I confess this, I have confessed this, sometimes you can see the grace that you prayed for blossoming on other groves of trees. And you think, we prayed for that. And, and, you know, the enemy will sidle up, and he'll say, where were those people when you were warring for this thing? Now, we don't know, but the carnal mind can go there. And you see this right here with Peter. These people in the Old Testament, these prophets, were praying and diligently searching and examining for the grace that Peter and the people in his day were receiving. The second thing is, and this is kind of a tricky thing, None of those people in the Old Testament were spirit-filled. We have studies where the Spirit would come upon people. You know, the exterior Spirit of God. Every one of them had a spirit within. But who's going to argue that the only time that could become born again was through Jesus sacrificing himself? And that didn't happen during Daniel's day. But the Spirit of the Lord would come upon people. The Spirit of this would come upon people, and they prophesied. But God would visit, and he would give abiding anointings upon people. But this here says that in the Old Testament, the Spirit of Christ, look at that, verse 11. The Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify. In them is an, is an operative term. It is a functional term. And somehow these prophets in the Old Covenant we're praying about the grace that was coming, primarily when Jesus would come, the Messiah. And what would he do when he came? He would show the Father. He would make way for you and for me and for the Spirit to fall and for the sons and daughters to prophesy on a widespread basis. But that grace was there. But just think about that. I, I've read this before. But this measure of grace, <laughs> verse 10, that would be coming, that should come unto you, these people, hundreds of years later. Um, it's because the Spirit of Christ came upon them and motivated them and empowered them to write about the coming of the Messiah. Daniel wrote, Isaiah, my favorite prophet, wrote prolific things about the coming of Christ. You know, I love that Isaiah 7. This sign will come to you. Emmanuel will come. A virgin will give birth. That was the Spirit of Christ that came to him and propelled his prophecies 
into things that are glorious. What might the Spirit of Christ be dropping into you? How might grace right now be, be stirred within you for what God is going to do? You see, if you want to talk about dying to self and being a martyria, um, praying about something that's just ministering to the Father, that you, in your temporal environment, may not see, but that it be pushed forward in God's timetable. That's what the Spirit of Christ does. There are no accolades. It's like Les was talking earlier about names on buildings. Um, there, there are no accolades. But we're ministering this in grace, prophetically, according to the Spirit of Christ. That's, that's so interesting to me. So I, I proclaim over all of us that we freely step into this dimension of grace that the Father has required partnership in that we would receive openly these, the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, that we would receive this impartation of whatever God needs to empower us to believe Him for, so that next month, next year, whatever God's timing is, that things would be birthed. I believe we've already ministered in this. You do, and then you teach. I think this is a higher dimension of understanding of the deeper things of the Word, and I think that as we go forward in this year, we're going to be able to lay hands on people and impart in various corners of the world this gift. Now, I don't know how God's going to do that, but it's that concept that we heard Lila Terhune, again, I mentioned her the second time now, wrote that book about cross-pollination. But, you know, somehow when you, when you minister in something and God finds you faithful and he gives you authority, then you can lay hands on people and somehow impart that, like what Paul said in Romans 1. You know, I, I desire to be with you earnestly so that I might impart to you some pneumatikos gift. Uh, you can't give what you don't have. Now, we can believe for things that God can, God can do what he wants, but this is an empowerment, and I think we have functioned in this in a number of ways over the years, most likely more ways than we realize, and that's a, that's a blessing. No accolades to us. It's a blessing to know that God has used you in this way, but um, I... I I, I just find great commonality with what Peter says here in, in, in chapter 1 of his first letter. Um, I, I believe that there are things that God is having us pray for right now that are going to be harvested in fields that we may never see in the, the remaining time that we have in this current dispensation. So take heart in that and take hope in that. Now, so the final passage we're looking at 
is back in Romans 8. And this is before all of the wonderful things that speak about my God supplying all our need according to the riches of Christ and glory and so many of the other stem winders that we find there. And Paul must have had a really great uh, breakfast full of nutrients and probiotics before he started writing this Romans 8 because he sure went on a five for five, three grand slam game here. Nice was the spirit of the Lord. But Romans 8 is, is, wow. I love all the word of God, but this is, this is walking through a field of dynamism when you read this. But right toward the beginning, Romans 8, verse 9. You are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit becomes your life because of righteousness and its vision in partnership be with being a friend of God. That's what righteousness is. And if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. Isn't that great? But right here, you have the spirit of Christ. And you can process for yourself that meaning of, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Now, that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that you're not born again. I want to just clarify that. This none of his phrase is very curious, and it's used in a number of different ways. It speaks about a joint concern. It speaks about a partnership that is striving towards something. It, it speaks about familial relationships, or particularly, you know, uh, a father or mother and their heir. And so it really speaks about that kind of thing. But I don't want to go so far as to say that any of those words are used here. I'm just talking about that phrase. So it's saying, first of all, that um, the Spirit of God is dwelling in you. Uh, but if you really want to be a partner with God, you better have the Spirit of Christ within you. And then it says, and if Christ be in you, then the Spirit becomes your life. But what's it going to do with that mortal body of yours? It's uh, if the same spirit that these prophets were praying about dwells in you, he that raised Christ from the dead will quicken your mortal bodies. How many of you need that quickening today? Raise your hand. Ava, I release that quickening to you. And let it spill out over onto Rachel and her smiling face back behind you. And all of you, the spirit of the Lord come upon you and quicken the mortal body. You know, I remember when I was in high school, I traveled, I've told you this before, but I've traveled with my pastor who was a Welshman uh, back to his homeland. And we, I was singing, you know, this little group that was in our church, we sang and our pastor would preach. And so we stayed in people's homes. I've told you about this, but there was an old man, an old grand, he may have been a great grandpa, that was there in 
that little Welch house, I couldn't understand much of what those people were saying. They were speaking, they said they were speaking English, but it sure didn't seem like it to me. <laughs> of course, I pretended. I first developed my pastoral gift to actually pretend that I actually knew what people were saying to me. Uh, but this old man would talk about the Welsh revival. I'm going somewhere with this. And he would talk about how when the spirit fell, all the bars closed down and, you know, people were slain in the streets in the spirit and they would shout out to people across the street, are you filled with the spirit? And then they'd all start speaking in tongues and a bunch of them would fall over in the spirit. And, and he'd get so excited. He had just had a wisp of hair. His hair would fly around. And I could understand what he was saying. And he was talking. And then he said, and we sang this song. And he would start singing. If the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwell in you, dwell in you, and they say, he will quicken. He had a cane. He would raise it. Your mortal body. And he would say, if that spirit dwell in you. And he would talk about how that they would start singing that. So I, I don't know whether it was written in that revival or whatever. But he'd say, just it would just start up. The spirit would move across a place. And then all of a sudden, it's like people just around the, the room would just start singing that song. It's not like somebody, not like the wave where the people over here started it. Hey, let's start singing that song. And it moved across. It was just like the Spirit sparked that. And then people would just be healed all over the building. I just thought that was so interesting. You know, I was just, what was I, 16? going up maybe I don't remember how old I was. You know, when you get 65, you can just blur things, can't you? Um, but, you know, the point, though, is, that this is a promise. And God started talking to me about this a few weeks ago. I mentioned it. Um, I think that so many of you, including me, have been attacked physically in this year. But God has been faithful to restore us all. And I, I always think that if the enemy's coming against you in one way, it's because he knows that there is a sevenfold experience in God that he's trying to stop. I just know that. I'm not welcoming the enemy to do anything. I just see that pattern, which is why when the enemy comes in one way, he flees in seven and all those one and seven passages. And so I think that we're going to see, due to the Spirit of Christ, a quickening of the dimension of the Spirit of God within us that is born again, plus the various capacities that God's Spirit gives us, and there is going to be an unusual dimension of the quickening of mortal bodies in ways that we can't even fathom. And it's not going to follow the things that we've seen over the years. If you think we're, we're going to Go back to certain patterns. God, when God does a new thing, you know, when Israel went into war, as cool as Jericho was, they never did that again. They did other things. And, you know, an angel comes to throw hail down on 185,000 people. And he said, no, 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 wait, wait. We don't want you to do that. We want to get the Jericho march going. I don't hear anybody saying that. This you, you just mark it down. I speak the quickening of the Lord, whatever you're facing physically. I speak the quickening of that Spirit of Christ within you. And progressively now, from this moment, mark it, from this moment, 
God is going to restore the mortal body. While at the same time, we keep dying to flesh. We die to self. And if, unless a seed falls in the ground and dies, it has no life in it. seems I read that somewhere. But this unique measure of the Spirit of Christ, he talks about it. He says, this is the way you partner with the Father. You're in conjunction with him. And if, if that's the case, you're, you're, dying, you're dying to sin, which is the prophetic mindset. You, you die for the mission. And, and if that's happening because of righteousness, life is flowing in you at the same time that you're dying to sin and to self, and in that mortal body of yours is going to be quickened by that spirit. What spirit? The spirit of Christ. So what do you have here? These are the three that speak of the spirit of Christ. I firmly believe they're linked with the spirit of prophecy, but then enjoined with sonship and saints mission. And that grace capacity. We must not forget that. First, you have the supply. God is going to supply. For this mission, there are other kinds of supply that are mentioned. All of those, we release them as well. But the supply of the Lord for what you need. Secondly, those measures of prophetically laying claim to things that others in the future are going to reap and are going to enjoy. Why? Because of your service to the Father. And that measure of the Spirit of Christ, we welcome that. And here, this measure of partnering with the Father, dying to self, and the quickening of our mortal bodies that raised Christ from the dead. I don't know what you may be facing, but none of you are dead and buried. I don't want to be anytime soon. You know, no matter how bad it is, no matter how you may be trying to overcome something, you're not dead yet. <laughs> Spoken of by the prophet Python. You're not dead yet. Bring out your dead. None of you are dead in the natural. None of you are buried in the natural. So if, if you're on the other side of that, <laughs> and even if you were dead, this same spirit raised him from the dead and it can raise you it can raise your kidney it can raise the the side of your body that's not functioning well it can raise your ankle it can raise your back it can raise your spine it can raise that part of your body that's under attack in some way the supply of the spirit of christ the inspiration and the anointing of the spirit of christ and the life of the Spirit of Christ is ours. And on this first Sunday of this month of October, which is a breakthrough month, a launching forth month, I expect for all of us to enjoy daily visitations of this and that God will move according to what His throne is. Now, normally if preachers preach this kind of thing, it's geared toward some kind of a, uh, of a, a topical moment. In just a minute, I'm going to ask the organ to play, and I want you to come up here to the front and stand. This is not just a one moment, get it now. You know, Jesus is passing this way. Reach out and touch him as he passes by. This is a commission. 
This is a, a, a power that's being released to you, not just for this moment, but yes, for this moment, but for every day on behalf of the service of the throne of God. This is for us. And it, it really is wonderful. It really is wonderful. So I thank you, Father. I thank you for this. And, and I, I ask that you bless this congregation and our Saints Network family who are so faithfully serving you around the world. I ask, Father, that this, this visitation that's so important, this visitation that sets the stage then in Romans 8 for crying out, as sons, Abba, Father, and the Spirit turning all things for the good, being sons, all of these things, the Spirit helping our infirmities, are because of the Spirit of Christ. May the earth people know these. May there be a quickening in all of us. Thank you for allowing us to serve you before the throne of grace. Guide us, Father. Let that anointing take us above the things that have tried to weigh us down. Let this anointing break the yoke of bondage. In fact, I speak that the anointing of Christ would snap off the chains, that the anointing breaks the yoke. May it be so great. May the light in it be so dynamic that it will snap off the chains that have held you back. Those spirits of infirmity that just kind of vex and, and uh, molest, as the scripture speaks about, gang up on you. It's like a tag team. One thing's over and another one comes. That process ends now in Jesus' name. And I speak that not only are you free, but you're free indeed. I speak that you have life and that you have life more abundantly. But we submit ourselves to the pathway of grace to prophetically serve you as saints. Father, let us be your sons. Let us be those that you can trust. And let the Spirit of Christ come and fill this house, fill the houses of the saints, and fill this people. May we be encouraged by it. Visit us in the night. Visit us during the day. Let your Spirit be our guide. We love you, Father. Meet every need in this house. And thank you for leading us to this point and for what is ahead. We love you, and we ask all of these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, I don't know what you're facing. You may leave this house and say, well, I'm thankful for that word. What I want you to do is wherever, wherever you may be under attack, during the day, you can do this many times a day, lay your hands on that place and say, I thank you, Father, that the Spirit of Christ is in me and is upon me and is quickening me. And you will lay your hands on your checkbook or whatever it is. Be careful laying hands on your spouse now. That could get you into trouble. Point <laughs> but things that you have direct control over. You lay hands 
and declare the Spirit of Christ and see what God will do. Amen? All right. God bless you all. We will see you soon.